Hello there, guys and gals and all. Welcome to episode 95. And I hit the wrong button. Dun, dun, dun. Alright guys here back here with another guest. Um again I've talked about Podmatch many times. Um it's been one of my favorite just uh places to to pick up guests um and just kind of meet good people and I don't know how many I've done, somewhere between twenty and forty. Um so somewhere in there. Uh but I constantly am looking for people and, and once in a while people reach out to me, sometimes I find them and uh, this next guest, I, f- I believe I found in Messenger, and she got back to me and called me, and we had a nice conversation, and weird enough, she called me on my other job, and it was just, I was so locked into that phone call that I forgot I was actually working, even though I finished what I was supposed to be doing, <laughs> so I knew I was doing that job. I've been doing that job way too long, because I did it on autopilot. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed just talking to her. She's a very sweet person, and I wanted to kind of get her story out. Um, so why don't you like tell us your name and just a little about yourself? Oh, thank you so much, TJ. Thank you for having me on your show. And, um, my name is Darcy Steiner and, um, I am an author, a speaker. Um, I'm disabled and, um, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma and a wife. So, um, that's a pretty good summary. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of different hats there right but um yeah i um you know tj i when i read about your story i thought what an honor um to be on your show because you are doing such a beautiful thing by you know sharing people's stories and letting them share what they have learned Um, whether they're disabled or not, but, um, I just appreciate you for using your tragedy for something good and that's victorious. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It keeps me going though. Like it's honestly when I'm not doing it and I'm like home with my thoughts, like, uh, next week is my birthday week and I'm not really doing anything. I took the whole week off of, of my other job and I kind of regret to a certain degree because I know sometimes I'm just stuck with my mind and my mind wanders into the worst places. But when I'm doing this, it really motivates me because I know one, I'm doing some good, but also just to be around other people that are just have these powerful stories and they're overcoming. And, um, you know, like even just being around you or just being on the phone with you talking to you the the other day, it was just, you know, you can feel that you're such a good person, but you also, you can kind of feel the pain and some of the things that you've been through, even if I don't know the exact story, uh, because mm-hmm. you know, I've, I'm still there and I've been there my whole life. So, um, but it keeps me going knowing that there's so many people that are overcoming with these horrible obstacles, uh, or whatever you want to call them hurdles or whatever. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, I appreciate it. Like I said, it's something I enjoy doing and I'm going to continue to do for hopefully a long time. We'll see. What day is your birthday? Uh, Wednesday, October 6th. Okay. 
I'm going to give you a call. Okay. I, I will look forward to it. <laughs> now you have something to do on your birthday. Yeah. There and you I'll go. look forward to it too. So I appreciate it. Um, Good. Yeah. So where would you like to start? Would you like to start with your disability? Because you said you're disabled. Didn't say why or, or what yeah. from. Um, Want to start there? You bet. Um, so I have two disability stories, actually. I'll start with the one 20 years ago. Okay. Um, so I had two small kids. They were five and two and a half. And we were getting ready for Christmas. Christmas was coming. And so I had a CD upstairs. Uh, it might have been a cassette tape. That kind of ages me. But um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, <laughs> I ran up stairs uh, to get the, this Christmas music and ran back down the stairs, slipped on a piece of paper and started tumbling down the stairs. And there was a baby gate that was up at the bottom of the stairs. Right. Somehow I hurtled over that. Wow. I, I didn't crash into the baby gate. But I did crash into a wall and then face planted into the ground. Hmm. And um, I injured my back really bad. And my kids were there and my little five-year-old came over and asked me if I was okay. Mommy, are you okay? And I just kind of laid there for the longest time and... Um, I knew I wasn't okay, but you don't tell your kids that, right? Because right. you don't want to worry these little children. Right. So anyway, what ended up happening with that was I ended up spending more and more time in bed because it, my back just hurt so bad. And um, I ended up being bedridden for two years. You didn't go to that emergency room? Well, I did not um, because, you know, it kind of got a little bit better and then it got worse and then it got better and then it got worse. And I did see my doctor and he didn't feel like it necessitated going to the emergency room. He just expected it to get better. Right. Did you do that? However, did you do that thing where oh, a lot of people who go with, like, even with my eyes, as long as I've been dealing with it. Sometimes I fool mm -hmm. myself when I have really good eye days. I go, oh, it's getting better, or I can't have any more bad eye days. And then, of course, one comes, and you're like, oh, of course. Uh, were, you mm -hmm. trying to, were you kind of doing that with your, your pain with your back? Oh, yeah. You, you know, you have a good day, and it's like, oh, I'm getting better. Right. You know, someone asks how you're doing, and, of course, you know, we want to get through it ourselves because a lot of things we can get through, and we get better. And so there were days where, yeah, like you had a good eye day and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fine, right. you know, but then you end up spending more and more time in bed. Um, oh, I did. And what ended up happening with that back injury is it initiated a condition that I developed called complex regional pain syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I know you know what that is, but for people that don't, um, it's a severe nerve pain disorder that makes you very, very sensitive to touch. Right. 
um, and it's severely painful. Um, it's so painful that you pray to die. Like I ask God, please take me. Just, I don't know how I can get through another day. And you feel that every day. Like, how am I going to get through? Is it more painful than pregnancy since you've had two kids? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, by far. I'd have like 30 more kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. Because the pain is temporary. I mean, yeah, I, it's severe pain, but it's momentarily. But this is like chronic day after day and year after year. And, you know, I prayed to die, but I prayed to live, too. It's You have dichotomous feelings because I had a family. Right. Now, is this is this directly just in your back or is it through throughout your body? The entire body. Wow, okay. It kind of settled more in, great question, by the way. It it happened to settle for me more in my ankles. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. No one knows why. Yeah. So it limited my ability to stand um, and walk. And so I started crawling to the bathroom. Um, and then we got me a commode um, to put by the bedside. So... I was thankful for that. It's funny, the things that you're grateful for, but I was thankful for a commode. And people don't um, know that's a toilet. A lot of people don't know what that is. Okay, yeah. Because my grandma says toilet. that, so I know. And uh, I didn't know what it, when she said it to me as a child, and she kept saying, you use the commode. And I was like, what the hell is that? And then, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's a portable toilet. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, I was grateful for it, but there were also days where, you know, I mean, this is being really honest, but, you know, I would excrement in it and not have anybody to empty it until the end of the day. So, you know, I'm laying in bed and sometimes I had to smell that all day, but it's something that you get used to and have to live with. And my husband, you know, he, thankfully he had, his own job, um, his, you know, his own business. Mm -hmm. So he was able to be flexible, which helped greatly. Um, And our church family stepped in uh, to help us and brought meals and that kind of thing. But yeah, the day-to-day pain um, of not being able to walk. And since I'm sensitive to touch, I was sensitive to touching and having my children touch me. And that is what hurt me the most. It was the emotional pain because I wanted to communicate to my kids how much I love them through touch, like how we did before. And I wanted to take them to the park like we did before. And that was no longer possible. Um, My interactions with them for a while were just them climbing on the bed and playing a card game. I remember playing I Spy with my kids a lot, you know, with different colors. I Spy something red. You take like normalcy for granted. Like you think these things happen. Like with me, with my eyes, there's times where I've had such horrible bad eye days and I would just pray for good eye days and now that I actually have some good eye days due to some minor surgeries and stuff and I still don't appreciate it the way I should um 
and this is, you know, cause I've dealt with my eyes, you're, you know, now 20 years in with this, but I've dealt with it my whole life and what was normal and what seems normal to everyone else is it, it, it sounds great. Just, you know, hugging your kids and, uh, you know, but then something changes it and now you don't have it and your life is just completely turned upside down and you start to look at the times that you were with your kids and maybe you complain one time or you did that and you start to break it down to like the worst possible common denominator. Cause you're just like, ugh, like I should have just appreciated that cause I had it and then you don't. And now you're looking at it from this different view of, I can't get out of bed and I can't recreate those moments anymore. Right. You don't know what you're not being grateful for right. until you don't have it anymore. And then you realize, wow, okay, it wasn't such a pain to bring a heavy diaper bag to the zoo, (laughs) you know? And it wasn't so bad to, you know, do whatever, have to stop for gas while you had two crying kids in the car. You just are so grateful for any moment that you have. I remember them, you know, coming up. Adapting to yeah. a new lifestyle it just seems impossible. You know, it's like people, if you compared it to something silly, like, you know, uh, someone once asked me, like, they have a PC and they're like, oh, you have a Mac, what's that like? And I'm like, well, it's totally different. It, it's getting used to a totally mm-hmm. new operating system is, is crazy. Like, because it's not that hard in, in some instances, but if you don't know what you're doing and you're just going on to something totally new without any real experience, it's like, what is this? And so when you're, when something like, you know, mobility in your case, in my case, my eyes just taken from me, you have to adapt to a whole new world. That's really not made for you anyway, but was made for you before. And you're used to just living life comfortably, comfortably in the sense of just body function. Um, mm-hmm. and now you're having to adapt to, Oh, I could barely walk. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, especially when you're starting from the very beginning, you're at the first step, it seems like inconquerable. Like you can't, you can't overcome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right. It's that the very beginning, it does get easier because you get used to it and you do adapt. Right. But what was interesting to me was the kids adapted fairly quickly. You know, kids are so pliable and they just, kind of went with it and they would come and climb on the bed or mm-hmm. um, my husband set up a TV tray, um, which that might also date me too, but um, we put up a TV tray and they, a coloring station so that they could be near me and near a window. And I had a camera next to me on the bed so I would take their pictures so that I wouldn't lose that time. that I would still have memories. And I didn't, one thing that I regret is that I wish I were in more of the pictures. Uh, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to be in pictures with my kids where I didn't have makeup or I'm in bed or I'm not showered. And so there's not a lot of pictures of me during those, you know, a couple years I was bedridden. Um, there's a few more when I then was able to get in the wheelchair, but, um, yeah, the, just the depression, you know, of 
the kids would go to a soccer game and I couldn't go anymore. Would you and would you say that was more crippling than the actual condition? If you know what I mean, your depression. Wow. Yeah. Um, it definitely made things worse. Yeah. The emotional part added to the physical part. So, um, I think you know you when you're in that situation, you don't know how to stop the depression. Like it's just. I'm missing out on life. And why, God, did you give me two kids if you aren't going to allow me to raise them? You know, and so there's anger. It's like, it just, it, it kind of goes into the cyclone of problems. You know, the, the first issue is the disability. The second issue is the emotional trauma. And they just kind of mix together and become this massive, thing that you need to overcome but how do you do it and I mean I almost died and my husband was getting ready to be a single dad and what made me almost die was the fact that when you're in pain when you have that much pain you're not hungry and so I didn't eat I mean I I, I ate some you know but Mm -hmm. I couldn't keep it out or I had diarrhea or I had something, you know, but I weighed a hundred pounds and I was just losing weight every week. And I had doctors that didn't think I was going to make it. Yeah. Um, But that's also, that's why, you know, I mean, even kind of going to your condition, like everything is so attached. So you might've screwed up some mm -hmm. sensor that went to your ankles instead of just going straight to your back or your shoulders or whatever. And it's the same thing with your mind when your mind is just done and your mind's just, you, you've committed to, I just might as well just lay here and die. The rest of your body is going to go like, okay, we're not going to eat. We're not going to do this. We're just going to lay here. And, and, you know, that's why they say to people who are like have cancer or some sort of horrible disease, you know, if they are already willing to give up and you're not supporting them, you're not help getting them through it, the body's just going to go with it. And if they had a chance to beat it, it's out the window now because they have already committed to death Mm -hmm. yeah and you know you understand this which is why this is such an engaging conversation I'm really enjoying it because you know the mind is so powerful it also is pliable and flexible and had I learned some of the things that I learned later, if I learned them earlier, I don't think I would have gone through the trauma that I did. And what helped me with the emotional and the mental part was I had a counselor that came over weekly and she hardly charged me anything. And she would sit by my bedside and she taught me about visualization Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, mindfulness and meditation and, positive thinking and just different tools that I could use to help me think differently. Mm. And so that really did help me. I visualized walking again. Um, and I would go for walks every day in my mind. And that was so powerful. Um, it, it's a very powerful tool to use your mind um, and tell it something different than what your body's telling it. Like 
we can have control over what we, how we perceive this. And that did start making some changes for me. And I'm also a believer in God. And so the Bible helped me, different biblical verses helped me. And the fact that I, previous to my fall, I had enrolled in a master's program for nutrition. So I had received some books about nutrition and I couldn't sit up for very long, but when I did, I would begin to read some of this nutrition stuff because doctors couldn't figure out what was going on with me. Um, and I, I had been to so many doctors. My counselor actually advised me. She goes, just stop, just stop for a while and try some of your own things. So I found this protein shake that I asked Mark to make for me. And in doing that, I learned that it's much easier to drink calories than to eat them. And so I began drinking these protein shakes and that shifted my weight loss. And that helped me gain a couple pounds. I gained some hope and I started being able to sit up for longer. Um, and I started going to a therapy pool, um, which was amazing Mm -hmm. because I took my first step there after two years of not being able to walk. I took a first step in the water and, um, had to be very Learn to walk. It was. Oh my gosh, TJ. It was like, you know, when you watch a baby begin to learn to walk, it was like that. My brain had forgotten how to walk. So it had to be retrained. And the water helped, you know, my body be buoyant. And so I didn't have to bear the weight. And my therapist had me hold on to the wall and was on the other side of me and I put one foot in front of the other and I just smiled. It was, it was surreal. It was like, oh my gosh, maybe I can learn to walk again in the water. How is like the water on your skin being so sensitive? That's a great question. It was fine. It was fine. I could still feel the pain because it doesn't take away all of your body weight. Right. You know, it took away most of it, but there was still pain. And so it was still painful, but it was, it's like, you know, when you have an injured foot, you know, you hurt your foot or you have a bee sting on your foot and you're still able to walk, there's pain, but you can still do it. So um, I did still have pain, but the fact that I could do it and then, each time I went, learned a little bit more and was able to bear a little bit more weight because I was gaining muscle back. Right. Well, you one, know? well some uh, things that people don't know is, which is weird because our, our story is very parallel in some ways because I think you had it harder in a way because you, you're dealing with it as an adult. I dealt with it when I was four because um, I had no skin and, and, you know, I basically had no flesh or anything on my body so I was dying and I almost died and so on but 
you know, I had to teach myself how to walk again with exercise bikes and so on because I was in the hospital bed for so long without, it was like four and a half months without moving any muscles. Uh, I mean, they would take me to surgeries and so on, but you know, so I didn't have the problem with my ankles or anything like that. I just didn't use my muscles. So you have like these dead baby, like deer legs when they come out. Um, Mm -hmm. and so even if you didn't have this problem, if you lay in bed for long enough without using your legs or any of your, you know, extremities, like you're going to, uh, they're, you're, they're not going to function the way you would think. Um, so yeah. So even if you didn't have this condition, you would have to, um, you would have to teach yourself how to walk again anyway. Yeah. It wasn't just because of the pain. It was the lack of, of movement and all my muscles atrophied including in my face. Like I didn't smile. I I grimaced in pain. And so when you don't smile, it it takes muscles to smile. And because I wasn't smiling, I even lost the ability to smile, which people don't realize if you don't exercise your smile muscles, you know, your face muscles and expressions, you lose it. And I just, I remember trying to smile again and my cheek muscles would quiver, Hmm. you know, and that was kind of scary to me too, that, wow, you don't realize when you don't use it, you lose it. Right. You, You really do. And it doesn't take that long. I think it takes like two weeks for you to really lose a lot of muscle mass of not, not using yeah. a body part, but I wasn't using any body parts. So the water helped me regain muscle in my arms because I was doing arm exercises as well as walking. And then eventually I was able to do it on my own. And I, I went to pool therapy twice a week. Um, my husband drove me. How deep is but the water? Eventually I, um, it was up to my shoulders. Okay. So, and then, you know, I had a therapist with me and then I was able to do it on my own, the more muscle that I gained. So these holistic things were helping me, that and the nutrition. And um, I began to be able to eat more and fast forward um, six years, I had no pain. PJ, I had zero pain and I earned my master's degree in holistic nutrition. Before, and before you I go to that, my, did you, did you get it? I mean, you said you, you know, two years went by and so on and you didn't go to the doctors, but like, did you get a diagnosis? Yeah. Like, did you know what your problem was at any point with those, within those six years? I didn't until into when I was in a wheelchair. Oh, okay. Um, Finally, you know, I, I did have a nerve conduction test mm-hmm. done. Uh, I had a lot of tests done, and they said probable. You have probable CRPS because it's so hard to diagnose, mm-hmm. you know. In fact, I just had a nerve conduction test done that was normal, and I'm disabled now, and they say I have CRPS. However, my nerve conduction test came back, well, your nerves are better than average for most people your age. Wow. But the same doctor diagnosed me with CRPS, and she said, I still think you have CRPS. So 
it's a very hard thing to diagnose, kind of like fibromyalgia is a hard thing to diagnose. Right. A lot of those um, chronic illnesses just are really hard to diagnose. Mm-hmm. So again, it's probable, you know, it's not a solid, um, but what else is it? No one knows, you know, and I seem to just fall into that category. It's definitely nerve, though, because it's throughout my body, and I do feel in my feet the pins and needles, you know. When I try to walk now, I know we haven't got to my story now, but it feels like I'm walking on corkscrews. Does it kind of feel it's like when, I, you're, when your feet fall asleep? You know, sometimes there's like a there's like a little yeah. pins and needles type of feeling within that paralysis or whatever you want to call it and yeah sometimes yeah. uh-huh and so because i don't have that all the time i did last week i mean every day of the week it was like okay what's going on now um but it did it feel it felt like my my particularly my right foot mm-hmm. um was asleep that wouldn't wake up and so that you know that's a nerve problem right and the fact that i'm always cold my feet are freezing all the time even in july (laughs) um so now does it does it feel cold on the out like to the touch does it feel cold like if someone were to touch your feet or do they feel cold to other people uh or yeah okay oh so your feet just actually get really cold it's not just like a, a feeling in your mind that just it feels cold to you, but it really isn't. No, it's really cold to other people. Wow. And yeah, and that's one of the symptoms of CRPS. In fact, one of the symptoms is that one limb is colder than the other. And it's interesting because my left foot is colder than my right foot, but I have more problems with my right foot. Mm, interesting. So, yeah, it's just, it's weird, nervy stuff. And nerve pain is really hard to treat. So, you know, my doctors don't know what to do next with me. They say, okay, well, maybe a nerve block, but there's a 60% chance that it will work for up to two months. And I don't know, that doesn't sound like real good odds to me. Well, what's the risk? If I go through... Well, the risk is, you know, I, they could puncture, they could hit a nerve, mm. you know. Yeah. You could get infection from the site, you know, where they have to put the needle in. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like very good odds. So, you know, for me, pool therapy worked before, nutrition worked before. And I have improved, you know, with the second time. But... um yeah, Should like I the, talk about the second time now? <laughs> sure. No, I, I was just going to say it sounds like the pain is less frequent as it used to be. Um, I don't know if that's true I'm, or not. Yeah. I'm not bedridden right. um, now. Okay. I'm able to function um, the first two years. So let me explain what happened the second time. So, sure. yeah, um, after I got my nutrition degree, I'll just back up a little bit. So I became a nutritionist. Um, and was my first case study. I wrote about myself for my college and, 
you know, I became a nutritionist and taught people how to avoid the things that I went through. (laughs) And some of that was the mental stuff, the holistic part, like, here's what you do if you get to a place where your emotions are taking over. This is how to have a good mental state. This is how you do meditation. This is how you do progressive relaxation. This is how you teach your mind to walk, if you can't, how to visualize it. And so I felt like it was important, and even during this conversation, you know, for anybody that's listening, is you can control the mind more than the body. And one of the ways to do that is just to talk to yourself and tell yourself, you know, let's go for a walk or let's, you know, for you, TJ, you know, let's think about my good positive days where I can see better or the podcast that's making an impact on people, the fact that you're not lying around feeling sorry for yourself and you're working like that's beautiful and that inspires other people. And I heard someone say everybody the other day that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because you're not exactly where you want doesn't mean you know, it's still worse than what it was before. So meaning like my, my eyes aren't as bad as they used to be in, in some instances. Um, but it's mm-hmm. also just like, you know, I have my own place at work and, you know, I have the podcast and I'm always thinking just because I'm still, you know, living in you know a single life where I'm lonely and all that. And, you know, I still deal with my eyes and my chronic pain here and there and this and that just because things aren't mm-hmm. exactly where I want it to be. doesn't mean my life isn't better and doesn't mean things aren't mm-hmm. still to come. It's just, when you're stuck in the rut and things have it like days and days and weeks go by and it seems like everything's the same, you start to lose hope. Like, Oh, it's just, nothing's ever coming, but that doesn't mean it mm-hmm. isn't. Right. And there are good things that are to come for both of us. Yeah, and absolutely. we never have to lose hope, you know? Um, and the people that, you're helping through this podcast and just in your life, your attitude, our conversation, you know, it's, it's inspiring and people need that and want that and look to people who have been through suffering because who doesn't go through suffering. Right. Um, and if somebody hasn't yet, they will. Mm-hmm. And so they can store away some of the wisdom that you share and, um, hopefully that comes from my story and other stories that are on your podcast. But, um, before you you go on, do you, do you feel, and I asked someone this before, do you feel like you now appreciate, especially your husband, but your kids as well? Like you understand how much they helped get you through what you got there. Like, do you, do you really appreciate and love them more now than you did before all this? Absolutely. Because you're not going to find many guys that are going to, you know, change your bedpans and all those things. You're not going to find many kids that are just going to want to sit next to you on the bed and just say, well, you know, we're here for you no matter what you're going through. Um, Because you're at your worst and you're laying in bed and, you know, you're 
completely, you know, getting skinny and you're just kind of knocking on death's door and they're all just there supporting you regardless. And so I'm sure that has to be a real, especially in hindsight, a realization of what love actually feels like. I do. Um, I, it's a blessing, you know, this curse that I go through is a blessing at the same time because my husband, who's a caregiver, has suffered also, you know, he was about to lose his wife. And I feared, I remember laying in bed thinking, why is he sticking around? You know, he could just go, leave me, take the kids, because he adores our kids, just like I do. Right. Um, why didn't he leave? What made him stay? Well, love, you know, it was a true test of our marriage. And he does so many things. And I think caregivers are often ignored. You know, they, it, they don't get appreciation for the things that they do. And honestly, during our wedding, I don't remember very much of what was said other than when we were talking um, personally between. We had a, a, a time where we just talked to each other um, and there was music playing. And he looked in my eyes and he said, I love you in sickness and in health. And that has been true. And our 30-year anniversary is coming up December 7th. Um, and oh, he stuck cool. around. Yeah. And I don't know why other than that he prioritized his love. So what Mark does, we're both believers and... He spends time with God every day before I wake up, and we pray together at night before we go to bed, and we work through things. We talk through things. We, he's the last person I see in my day, the first person I see when I wake up, and we talk when I wake up, you know, and he's already spent time with God, and he's chosen to love God before me and then me second, our kids third, and his job. Well, friends next and then his job. Okay. Um, and I, I, I respect that. I think, you know, it, I think about that daily. Am I prioritizing my love? And that came from Augustine, quoted about that, and so did C.S. Lewis. And, um, it's really, it takes practice because for me, I'm, I can be obsessive, you know, I'm obsessive compulsive and I like working, you know, I love tasks. I love <laughs> getting things done and checking things off my list. And Mark is better at just loving. He, he prioritizes people over tasks right. and I continue to learn so much from him. And on your question, you also talked about the kids. And, you know, interestingly, my kids are both in grad school right now. One wants to be, um, uh, well, she's researching pain and how kids develop a concept of pain. So that's what one of them is studying. 
The other one is studying to be a child life specialist. So what that is, is it's a liaison between the doctor and the patient. So if a kid is afraid of getting an IV, she does play therapy with them to help them be more comfortable with getting an IV. So they're both involved in, you know, helping people. And it wasn't Mark and I, we didn't train them to have that kind of compassion. Their life experience did. And that wasn't my choice. (laughs) You know, they learned it from how they grew up. They learned compassion from watching their mother struggle to get better and be in a wheelchair and it shaped them. It formed them. It was formative for them. Well, that's something I wanted to talk about in my second year of doing this now where I've wanted to kind of focus on not only just this, but I wanted to do more of talking to, you know, caregivers and family members and people that are directly affected by the people who have these horrible conditions because they don't get enough credit. A lot of times they're overshined by the person who is, you know, obviously struggling, which makes sense because, you know, they're the ones that are dealing with the most mental and physical pain. But then Mm -hmm. we don't really talk to the, you know, the real good caregivers, whether it's an actual just caregiver or someone, you know, related, a husband, wife, you know, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And they matter so much because, you know, doing this stuff alone is, is, is really hard. Um, Even back to what Mm -hmm. we said in the beginning of, starting from the beginning a lot of times it may be you know a bunch of steps where you know you're trying to get to the basement door but to us it looks like we're climbing you know climbing mount everest because it looks so far away and there's no way we can attain what we want to try to get done um but when we have that support system around us it um it, it, it does make it a lot easier Yes, and, you know, if you ever want to talk to Mark, he he has people that come to him about caregiving because, you know, they learn that he's taking care of me. And all of a sudden, recently, there's been people flocking to him who are also caregivers. And there's not really, that we know of, a very good support system for caregivers and they are overshadowed and people don't realize the suffering that they go through. And he does, he suffers a lot alone. Yeah. You know, because he's not going to pour that out to me and make me feel guilty. And I'm very aware of what he does for me. And, you know, we have a rhythm now, but, He's missed a lot of work because of me. His business has not thrived like it would if I could be independent. So he has made sacrifices, and he always says, "You come first. Yeah. Well, if he, if he and he has he, he does that. Well, if you want to, I'll, I would interview him right after yours. Not to, it doesn't have to be today, but I mean, like I'll have his the second episode right to follow because it makes sense to have him back to back if he wanted to, if he would want to do it. Um, 
Oh, he'd love to. Sure. Then we'll work on that. Yeah, he'd love to speak into that and help in any way that he can because, honestly, I think he's an exceptional caregiver. um, You would know. From what I've witnessed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're his one patient. I'm his patient, and, you know, he speaks encouragement into our children, and looking at him, you wouldn't know that he suffers. So it's a lot inside, you know, I think caregivers keep a lot inside, but they need to talk. Right. But it's, it's a balance thing it too, because like what you, what they're giving you, you're giving back because everything you have gotten through so far, even though you have a lot of bad days and you know, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't seem some days like you haven't accomplished much because, um, I mean, obviously I hear when you talk about in the pool and how excited you get and, and, and you know you really did overcome stuff, but I'm sure there are days that doesn't feel like that. You forget about those days in the pool. But what your family is around you, your kids and your, your husband, they've seen everything. They've seen you, you know, emaciated in bed, barely can talk, walk, smile, and all these things. And now you aren't bedridden. And now, yeah, you're still struggling. You're still limping and doing all that, but you're still moving. You're still you know, putting yourself out there, still writing books and, and getting degrees and all that. And that's got to be very infectious for them because they see what you have overcome and they probably look at it like, I could never get through that. But my mom is, or my wife is so powerful and so strong that, you know, I got to carry it on to my next venture, especially with your kids. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure it goes both ways for, for them as well with you. Mm. Well, I hope so. You know, they, They've been through some trials, but they're young, right? you know, and there's going to be more to come. And so hopefully I've handled it in a way um, that is inspirational. For sure, they can look to Mark and see, you know, what they want. I mean, my oldest daughter's married and married to a great man who I think would do the same for her like Mark did and. Yeah, but my other daughter that's the trickle down thing though that's I mean she saw what kind of man you married um, yeah and she would probably want a similar man if she was ever in the same scenario as her mother uh, she would like mm-hmm. a guy that would help I mean she would never want that for herself but if, if it ever got that bad she would like a guy who would take care of her just like you know your husband does for you mm-hmm. so she obviously learned and something my, yeah yeah I agree and my other daughter is actually dating someone who has chronic pain. Oh, there you go. But that, see, there's, there's another thing that is great because there are so many shallow, horrible, ignorant people in this world that would never even give someone like that a chance. And because she saw what you went through and, and she could never judge it, and she's seen someone else battling through it, like she, she had a heart for it, and she was somebody who she looked past whatever he is, whatever, whatever he lacks or whatever he doesn't do that the average guy can do or can't do. Uh, she looked past all that and just realized that he was a good person. And that has to come from her, obviously her genes, which is you and your husband. So again, like I said, it's a trickle down effect where they obviously are picking up on things that uh, come from strictly from the source, you and obviously your husband. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I don't know where that's going to go, but I'm so proud of them for not being judgmental, for being inclusive, 
for loving people who are disabled, for wanting to help other people through their issues, you know, um, in child life and discovering what, how do children learn the concept of pain? I, I just, I'm proud of them and I'm so grateful that our family has stayed intact. And of course we have our issues and, you know, disagreements and that kind of thing. I don't want to make it sound like we don't, but, uh, no, of course, you know, the kids have, uh, I'm just really proud of them. I'm very grateful that my husband didn't leave and, um, you know, we have a lot of fun. We laugh a lot and, you know, we try to look at on the, you know, the lighter side of things and, not what we can't do, but what we can do. And, right. you know, hope, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm ever going to walk normally again. And um, I don't think about that as much as I used to. I'm just trying to live my day today and not compare it to what I hope for tomorrow because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I just need to live fully today. Right. And, um, it's a healthier way of thinking. It, it is, it is. And it's stressful. taken what I'm 56. It's taken me 56 years to learn, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm learning it through disability. So it's disability teaches you things that you can't learn any other way. Yeah, it's valuable. You can't. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can't. There's a lot of qualities I've always said in life, like loyalty and stuff like that. You, you can't buy them. You either have it or you don't. You can, there's a possible chance of acquiring it through life experiences and so on. And, you know, and just certain situations can maybe change you as a human. But a lot of people are just, they, they have it or they don't. And when you have a disability, you know, people talk about like zombie apocalypses and all these different things out there. Like you see when people are at, you know, I've been thrown a huge tragedy and they have to overcome and the strong, you know, get through it and the weak don't. And you see people with disabilities who have to get through it every day and they don't have a choice and they, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's why I care so much about the community because, and, and try to get so many stories out there because there's so many people that are just, you know, I like to paint a picture. So many people that are just struggling every day mentally physically and they just continue to get out of bed when they know there's a part of their mind that says no why bother because you know you're just going to mm-hmm. go through another day of whatever it is that's ailing them and but they still do it they still try to work they still you know do everything that they're doing it's just a different life it's not the life they ever asked for they ever wished for but they still do it anyway and, and that's more powerful than just about anything out there <clears throat> Yeah, I love the upside-downness of it. Like, it's not what we ask for, but there are gifts, and I talk about this in my book, there are gifts that we are given in suffering that other people don't have. Like empathy. For instance, yeah, empathy is one of the greatest. I think also we already touched on it, but that is gratitude. Mm -hmm. You know, you just see... Like whenever I can take a step or I have a, a lighter pain day, my gratitude is so profound. And I know the people who, we have a trail behind our house and I wonder 
how many of them even know to be grateful for the ability to walk? Yeah. And I think we're all, you know? we're also always thrown a different obstacle that we never seem coming. Like in my case, I've got to work with somebody who's totally blind. So I know what's worse. Um, it seems like people with disabilities, I, I interviewed a guy who was paralyzed from the shoulders down, my friend Phil, and mm. he was feeling horrible for himself because he was 19 and got into a motorcycle accident doing speeding, doing something stupid and went off a, a cliff onto train tracks. And now he mm. just, he, he wrecked his life and, or at least is what he thought. And then he was, as he was kind of recovering, feeling sorry for himself, he ran into a guy who was paralyzed from the jaw down. And he was cracking mm. jokes like, hey, man, what's up? And, and you know, why you look so down? I have to control this. I have to control every function in my body with my jaw. But you can still move your arms. Mm. Like, yeah, you can't move your legs in certain parts, but you can still move your arms. I can't. And I think a lot of us are always, we, we get to feel what's worse. And we never, and, and then, or then we kind of come around at some point and just go like, okay, like for you, like you can walk. Maybe it's not perfect. Uh, but you can walk. And obviously you've seen what worse was because you, you were there. Uh, and, mm-hmm. so, and so that's something we also, we, we kind of get this situation thrown at us and it's like, we can see what's worse. A lot of people can't see what's worse than them because they, they, what they feel is worse than them is like poverty, like homelessness or, you know, somebody in a wheelchair mm-hmm. or whatever. They, they, they look at that and see that that's different, but they can't put, they can't wrap their brain around, physically can't put themselves in their shoes going because at least I don't know what it's like to be totally blind, but I've been on some really bad vision days where my eyes were just about there. And Mm. and I've worked with a blind, a few blind people and I know what it's like to work with them. And it's amazing, but I could put myself in their shoes because I've been through so much pain and I've been through just about hard, you know, as as bad as vision as you can get without being completely blind. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we also get that realization of, coming to terms with, you know, okay, it's bad, but there's always worse. And a lot of people can't come to terms with that. It's so true. And, you know, I feel that I feel grateful that I haven't had to go through what you have, you know, I mean, right. Vice versa. I I just, you know, to go through your skin being burned, you know, not having, not having skin when you're four and how you were resilient in, in playing with your animals or your, your toys, your pretend friends. Oh, that's right. We talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. And creating your own world that helped you get through. You were four. Right. I mean, you've been, you've been coping with this your whole life. And the wisdom that you have, you know, people might look at you and say, oh, he's blind. I have no idea what that would be like. I I think people don't realize the wisdom that disabled people have gained. I think we're looked at as like weak. Yeah. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. I don't don't even mean just referring to me. I just mean uh, us as a kid. In general. Right. Yeah. In general, I feel like if, if there's a disability, we're, we're looked at as weak and weird or awkward or like we have to be given to. Yeah. I, and I feel like I'd rather, I have things that I want to pour into you before you go through suffering so that you can handle it better. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to give. 
I would bet every set I have that the strongest people in the world are people with disabilities. And I'm not saying that just because I'm, I'm, I'm cl- well, I guess I am because I'm close to it, but everything that I've endured and everything I've heard from just you and, and, and others, and it's just what they have to endure. And it's not just the first initial, you know, okay, I got into a car accident. That was the most painful part of it. It's the rest of it that goes with it. Because a lot of the most paralyzing part of your life is the mental stuff, but also just all the stuff that has been like the disability. Uh, I should go back. The disability isn't always the worst part of it. It's always the, obviously the mental health stuff that comes with it, but also the, the life that we have to try to morph into uh, that's not made for mm-hmm. us. I've always said it's kind of like a, a house without a door and a window and we have to try to find a way in. And mm-hmm. it, it, it only we, we have to make this world work for us. It's not the other way around. And a lot of times mm-hmm. it's impossible because there's so many, like for me, one of my biggest things to overcome is I'm every time I get to a place where I'm like, I'm going to fix all this stuff in my life and I start breaking stuff down. And then I run into the one thing that hurdles that hurts people with visually impairment and blindness all the time, transportation. And yeah. it's, it's a constant fluctuation of my thoughts of trying to battle it. But you know, it, there's always these hurdles, you know, 75% of us are unemployed and that's not, yeah, you could say part of us play a part in that. There's a lot of lazy people and I get that, but there's a lot of us that would love to work, but sacrificing mm-hmm. our disability one and two, finding the right job where people will actually accept us and put in the right, uh, you know, the, it would give us the right tools to, to make that job happen because we are great workers and we are very loyal and we tend to become great workers because we're so happy that you gave us an opportunity that we're willing to prove it every day and show you gratitude because you gave us an opportunity that most people wouldn't. And so life mm-hmm. like that is so hard for us that we tend to, um, you know, that, that's, that's the part of the disability that is probably the hardest for most of us because we, if it was just life was just normal for us, like it is for everyone else, it's just, we have to kind of, you know, do a couple of little things a little different. It'd be, it'd be one thing, but no, they're the hurdles that get thrown in front of us. That's why some of us are so, uh, scarce about, you know, bragging about simple things that everyone else has like jobs and like, I have my job or I have, I have my own place. It's like, how many people can say, well, I have that too. My wife has that. My kids have that, but you didn't have to go through what I had to, to get what I got. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's totally different. So the strength that people with disabilities have, uh, to me immensely outweighs what most people go through. I mean, you know, there's death and there's a lot of tragedies and stuff, but I don't know. It just seems like people with disabilities every day have to go through mental and physical pain and, and they have to weigh their options. And, um, you know, we have to think differently. We have to, we have to be smarter. We have to think outside the box way more because the box <laughs> that we're in is unfeasible. We can't, we can't live in that box because that's not, that box is not made for us. So we have to constantly have new things and invent things, and we have to try to uh, just live, uh, like I said, in a box that it doesn't fit us. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I would bet everything I have just that people with disabilities are the strongest people, maybe not physically. I mean, physically in, the, in a mental sense. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, like I said, we go through so much, and, and we just don't know how much the average person, because some, some people's pain you know, that's why I love the invisible movement, the invisible disability movement, because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know what someone's going through. You just think, oh, they're that. And, right, oh, they're that limb. right. But you don't know what pain they're going through. 
And even with the mental right. stuff, you don't know what someone is struggling with right now. They're struggling with their own identity. They're struggling with their own sexuality. They're struggling with whatever. And they want to cry right now. But right now they're giving you this fake smile just so you leave them alone. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of the strength that comes with us. <clears throat> yeah. And another another thing that kind of goes along with that, another gift is the gift of perseverance. Yeah. You know, because you have learned how to persevere more than the average person, right. <laughs> which makes you stronger. Yeah. You have more ability to persevere through harder times than the average person. That makes you stronger. Right. And yeah, the creativity of trying to figure out how do I reach that since I can't walk and go get it, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you know? Or what you strategize, what do I need now if you're going to be gone, Mark, for two hours? Like, what am I going to need in the next two hours that you can put on the table right here? Mm -hmm. And then you learn to do without. You learn what you can do without and you don't really need, but you thought you needed. Like, I'm looking right now at gum that's across the room. Okay. So I might want gum, but I don't need gum so I can do without that. Right. right. And so you just, you kind of just live simply. Yeah. You, we don't need all this stuff. We can minimalize and not need as much as the average person thinks they need for their comfort. Yeah. But what we have to figure out is, what do we need? Right. Yeah, because you know, the limitation thing is so, it varies for each individual. And, and like, like I said, back to visual impairment, obviously we have to come to terms with, okay, we can't drive. Sucks. We don't mm -hmm. want to swallow that. But it's, it's the rest of the stuff that people say we can't do. It's like, well, you can't get on a ladder. You can't deal with knives. or You can't do all these. It's like, why couldn't I? Because you envision yourself not being able to do it without sight. But that doesn't mean I, I'm a little more stronger minded than that. I at least want to try mm -hmm. and give it, you know, I want to attempt it. If I fail, I fail. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's that, like, that's something that we, we, we battle with where it's like, what, what can we do and what can't we do? Because if we listen to our inner demons and we listen to the average person, it's not much, but you see what so many people do with these amazing, I mean, there's a guy I see on Instagram, he has no legs at all and he's running, you know, the 500 meter dash and all these different things on his hands. And it's like, mm. like, I guarantee you, everyone told him he couldn't do that. But yep. He can. I've seen it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yep. You figure out a way. So before we get completely off track, why don't you talk about your, your second, um, your second incident? Yeah. How that was initiated. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that was initiated by another injury at an, inconvenient time and that was at my daughter's wedding <laughs> oh, wow. um so luckily it was during cleanup so it was right after and i had forgotten my dress inside the facility and so i ran back in seems like i'm running yeah slow you know? down <laughs> i i need to slow down so i stop hurting myself but God. <laughs> i know can you believe it 
I'm either running or I can't walk. Did you frame so. that piece of paper, by the way? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was just one piece of paper that was a drawing that one of the girls did that was on the stairs. And it should have been harmless, but it wasn't. Yeah. So I don't think I saved it, but right. I should have. Um but what happened was I ran in to get my dress and there were the chairs were stacked up against the wall and they were the heavy wooden chairs that you put out for a wedding and they weren't secured in any way. So one of them, as I was running, slid down and hit my ankle. Oh. And it happened to be the ankle where most of my CRPS just kind of settled mm -hmm. the exact same place. So it reinitiated this pain and I knew my life was different for a long time to come. I just knew it. I knew that this was a big deal and most people thought that, okay, a sprained ankle six weeks, you know, you'll be fine. So after six weeks, I tried to push it and walked more than I should have. And I, I got, well, what's that called? In both feet. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of what it's called, but anyway, even uh, that also should have healed pretty quickly. You're not talking about arthritis, um, but right? it, no, it's not arthritis. Um, it's where you, oh, it's plantar fasciitis. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. A lot of athletes yeah. do that. So, yeah, plantar fasciitis. Um, and so that should have healed up kind of quickly, but I kept not being able to walk. And I kept trying. And what happened, so it wasn't only my feet, but it was my hands. And I was trying to move my body from the chair to the bed, back to the chair to, you know, a different chair. Mm -hmm. And so my hands developed the CRPS. Mm -hmm. And from sitting so much, my sides developed the CRPS and my backside. So I had nerve pain throughout my whole body. But what ended up happening when I couldn't use my hands, I mean, they were like flames. I just, felt like my hands were on fire and so we did go to the emergency room and they put me in splints and said well that should help and they were going to send me home and I'm like you don't understand like I am in screaming pain I I need to be admitted into the hospital and so they did for one night which was useless and came home, and for the next two months, I sat by my window and cried because I just was in so much pain. And Mark was by my side most of that time, and I couldn't dry my tears. He did. He dried both of our tears because it was heartbreaking for him. And he fed me, and he bathed me. And he helped me on to and off the commode. And TJ 
I'm going to be vulnerable here again. I still had my period and I'm going to the bathroom in the commode. And if that isn't embarrassing, I don't know what is. And he would look at me and he would say, I love you. Do not worry about this. It's no problem. Don't worry. And he would affirm his love for me. And he just took care of me. And eventually, you know, my hands got better. They still hurt. But I typed a book anyway. Um, Well, there's like this unwritten code between like men and women where, you know, women want to be ladylike and always want to kind of feel attractive for their man. And, you know, they don't want mm -hmm. certain things, their man to see certain parts of them because of or certain moments uh, like being Mm -hmm. on your period because, you know, want to gross the guy out and lose interest and all these different things and obviously you've been together for so long so you see everything but you know that's probably and and you're in such a vulnerable emotional state at that point where you're just and you probably feel so gross and ugly and all these different things and he's got to see it and you you probably just think like even there's probably a small part of you that's just going like oh my god like he's never gonna ever want me sexually or he's never gonna be attracted to me ever again because this is what he has to see Yep, he just saw that, and not just once, but over and over again, you know. And thankfully, right now, I can take a few steps, and I have a scooter that I get around on, and so I can take a few steps to go to the bathroom, so I don't have to use a commode. That's good. And um, But anyway, so the hands got better, and the feet have gotten a little bit better and I'm at the point where like I said I don't know if I'll ever walk normally again but you know the first disability led me to get my degree in nutrition and the second disability led me to write a book Mm -hmm. and so different dreams have come true because of disability yeah these dreams wouldn't have come true were it not for my disability because space was carved out for me. Like, what am I going to do while I'm sitting? Cause I sit all day. Yeah. So what am I going to do? And my hands are hurting, but you know, I, I typed a book over the course of the year and yeah, it might take me longer to do things, but I did it. And I did it to provide hope. I wanted to write something that would be kind of lighthearted and bring hope. And I share pretty vulnerably about some of the stories that I shared with you today. Um, And I share stories about other people with various kinds of disabilities and biblical stories of people with disabilities and I talk about the blind men you know and it's just there's gifts that come because of disability and that's what I wanted to share was I wanted to show the upside of disability I just did a I did an interview with a woman yesterday and we were kind of talking about something similar to this. We were talking about mental health and Hmm. just how, um, you know, obviously a lot of great things come from dark places and and so on. But 
one of the things that always mm-hmm. has bugged me with, with mental health and depression and all these things is a lot of people don't talk about it in, in its entirety. They talk about it on a surface level or when someone shoots up a school or stuff like that. But they don't talk about just every specific part of it. And you just, mm-hmm. if you don't, there's a lot of people out there that are going to hear this story or hear any story where you're talking about your mental health and you're talking about you're going through it so quickly by going, yeah, I was sad and I was anxious and then I took some medication, I was better. And so then there's people going to hear that and go, well, I have all these dark thoughts and I want to kill myself. And, oh, I, and, and gosh. when you don't address, when you don't talk about it, they think they're, they're the only one that's going through it. So in your case, like talking about, you know, on your period and all these different things and having to go in the, in the toilet and all that. Like a lot of people might think that like, you know, cause we are, we're all at one point feel so vulnerable and we think that we're the only one going through this. And so if you leave these, um, uh, you know, these horrible, but you know, very inspiring things out of your story. You just say like, yeah, you know, yeah, I, or you just skip steps and you just say like, yes, I fell and then I got better. And you leave at all the really horrible stuff. There are people that are going through that right now and will hear that and go, I guess I'm the only one. No one's talking about yeah. it. No one is this honest and raw about it because, you know, how many people, especially women who are sensitive and, and, and you know, worried about their image and their look and being pretty and all that, how many women are going to want to come out and say like, yeah, like I was on my period and my husband had to wipe me. And mm-hmm. it, it's amazing that you come out with that and you admit that. And it, there's nothing, I love true honesty, but, and some people mm-hmm. get turned off by and whatever, and that's on them. But you know, how many people are struggling with coming out and telling those stories and they haven't heard someone like you even attempt to share that kind of stuff because they think they're the only one because again, why would anyone share that stuff? Because it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. We have to. Yeah. Because, I mean, vulnerability breeds vulnerability, right? Yeah. So if we don't share vulnerably, then other people aren't going to be able to tap into that and learn how to do it themselves. But those are the stories. Those are the things that invite us in and make us feel like we're not alone and like we can get through this and it's it's those hard 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 places you know the thoughts that I had when I wanted to die you know even though I had kids and a family it was it was a struggle yeah and that was very real that was a very real struggle like I want to die but I don't want to die well, and how do you deal with it Sometimes life just feels like your your whole life is just trying to not be alone. But then what you realize yeah. is even when someone's laying next to you in bed, you can still feel alone. Like you, you think being mm-hmm. alone is just being physically alone and there's no one around and no one cares and you don't have anyone to call to call or touch or anything. But then there's times where that is the case and you're presented with love and you don't want the love because you feel so you feel so much hatred towards yourself and life and so on and you feel like no one understands which is why it's great to tell these stories because there's a lot of people feel that and then they feel so alone and there's no one like them in that in their circle and so there could be a hundred people living in their household and they feel so alone because not all 99 of them don't you know they don't have the same problem as them and so, mm-hmm. so yeah, it, it's, it's weird cause we're always trying to overcome our loneliness and, you know, loneliness has many different, I mean, it's kind of the same definition, but 
it means different things to different people. Yeah, and it's interesting too is is we don't want to admit that. I think most people in a general conversation don't talk about the hard things and don't don't go there. Yeah. And that increases the loneliness and I think why not? Why not have deeper conversations with people we just meet? Why not why not go there? I mean, you know, let's talk about things that really matter and what matters is you and what you're really going through. Yeah. And I'm available and you've made yourself available um, to talk. You know, anybody that wants to talk to me, I just put a, a my phone number out on, a, <laughs> on social media. If anybody needed to talk or That's if right. anybody felt like they can't afford a book, but want a book, like I didn't write that for money. I wrote it to give hope, you yeah. know? Well, you think like and, the more people that, the more information, because obviously your condition is still, not people don't know about it. Uh, I've gotten to learn from right. the three people, including you to interview, and I've gotten to look up some stuff and all that. But when you, the more information and the more technology and the more everything that evolves and uh, the more research that's done, hopefully people in 10, 15, 20, 100 years don't have to go through what you're going through. And so the more people that mm. are honest about it, the more people that share their stories, the more people then doctors and scientists and so on catch on and go, okay, let's change this. Let's fix this. And then, then you hear people and then maybe people who are in the early stages of dealing with your condition don't feel as alone now because they know there's thousands or millions of people that have already gone through it and they've overcome it or they've cured it or, or whatever they've done in the future. Um, and so that's why it is so important to be so honest about everything, whether it's, you know, being molested, whether it's having a disability, whether it's whatever, there's so many things that people hold in for a long time, abuse and, and bullying and all these things. And if you, you hold it back and, and, you know, of course we understand why people do it because we, we've all done it at some point in time. We've, we could have gotten it out sooner and we didn't. It took a long time of humility and, and just coming to terms with a lot of stuff. Um, you know, now if you, if you, you let, let it inside, send, you know, just let's say the people who get abused or molested and stuff, when you hide inside the, the statute of limitations is up and the person that now is probably still doing it won't get in trouble for it because you can't do anything mm. about it. Um, exactly. And so if you don't have these honest conversations and, and we don't continue to have the same conversations over and over with the same people who are already going through the same problems, you have to bring everyone to the table that's kind of what America's supposed to be. You know, there's so many different races and religions and all these different things, but we may not all think alike, we may not all feel the same, but we can we should be able to come to the table and have similar things that we all want. We obviously don't want, you know, rapists running around. We don't want, you know, we, we don't want just horrifying things just to happen. There's a lot of stuff that we all want in different directions and all that, but you know, there's obviously common things. We just want peace and we want to be left alone. And, you know, we just want to get rid of all the bad eggs that are just polluting our communities. And that doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your gender is and all that. And so mm -hmm. if we have real conversations, we can actually make real change. That's why slavery doesn't exist. That's why people now are gay people can get married. That's why, you know, interracial couples, that's why there's, you know, marijuana is about to get passed, you know, getting close to being passed. Like there's so many things that have changed that you never thought would happen. 
Um, and that's why I, I do what I do because people with disabilities are I always seem to be the one that are most shortchanged because we don't support each other enough and we don't talk to each other enough and we don't try to come together on a level of like a mass protest of just like all the things that we've had to endure and overcome every day. And if we just come mm-hmm. together and actually look out for each other and not just for our own condition, but for everyone's disability, um, you can get stuff done. You just have to have the dialogue. Exactly. And there needs to be a community of people that stand up for the disabled who aren't disabled. <clears throat> too, um, yeah. And having conversations, for instance, you know, at my therapy pool, they started having little kids be able to have swimming lessons in there. And I talked to the director of the pool and I said, this is not going to work. Do you see that man over there? If, if a child runs into him, he's going to drown. And that's on you. Like a therapy pool should be a therapy pool. But there were so many parents that were saying, oh, my child is cold. Can we do swimming lessons in the therapy pool? Because there's not as many people in there. And so, you know, I had, I wrote a letter. I, I was in tears certain days seeing different people leave that needed to be in the therapy pool because the swimming lessons were overtaking the pool. Mm -hmm. And I told them, I said to these um, people who were in the therapy pool legitimately, I said, you need to talk and tell them how you feel. And I don't know what it is, why people don't want to, say what they feel like everybody agreed with me yet they wouldn't stand up and say there should not be swimming lessons in therapy pool and so I felt like I was the only one trying to support this idea that the therapy pool should be preserved (laughs) for its original intent for people who are disabled and People couldn't see that, and there's still swimming lessons in the pool. And I'm on this fight. I'm on this mission. Uh, not for myself, but for everybody. Yeah. And if there weren't conversations, then that wouldn't that wouldn't ever happen. But I'm still fighting. Yeah, please I'm do. still trying to fight for other people and get this changed. Well, as I said many times, like when one of us gives up on those messages and and just everything that we're trying to achieve it's like gaining let's say 10 of us because there's so few of us that are fighting that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of people fighting a thousand ten thousand whatever but there's 1.6 billion and if 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 we if one of us gives up it's like gaining 10 people in the fight because Mm -hmm. there's so few that we just need we need more people on the front line pushing that and Part of it is the humility mm-hmm. part. Like humiliation is hard to, and rejection is hard to put yourself out there and know that that's going to come. Because if you know something's going to work, go your way, you're all about it. And yeah, but you know, you know, when you go to whatever McDonald's, you're going to leave there with food. But you know, maybe they may not have exactly what you want, but you can come up with something that you want. But you know, mm-hmm. they're, you're not. They're not going to just turn you away. Or at least they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, yeah, when, when you put yourself out there and say like, we need this and you're like, right guys. And they're all, you hear crickets because you know, right. they want that, but they want that when other people aren't around and you can talk in your private life. And it's like, that's, that's not what we want. Unfortunately, the only way we can make these changes again, back to what we were saying to make these changes so that others like, you know, so, so people don't go through what you and I went through. So others don't mm-hmm. go through with all the people that are struggling out here. We make the changes now in 10 years, people or whatever, however long people with disabilities are going through the same exact thing. We'll never have to go through the same thing. They don't have to worry mm-hmm. about asking for, you know, permission or, or whatever. They won't get denied going into places. They won't have to, you know, be embarrassed to say, hey, I have a disability and I need special privileges to, or, you know, whatever to get whatever it is like the pool, they need special time with an instructor. They don't have to be embarrassed to ask for that because it's, it's now the norm. Um, right. So that's why the conversations right. are and so things, helpful. Yeah, they are so helpful. And people who have come before us that have fought for, you know, access into buildings, Yeah. you know, I'm in a wheelchair and the only way I can get in is, with a ramp, you know? So the fact that somebody fought for that before us helped me. Right. And so what can I do to help, you know, generations that come after me? Um, I think that's a great point. And it happens through conversation. Yeah. Um, and awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talk about your book. Obviously what's the I mean, I kind of get the idea, but what, what, what was the inspiration sure. and, and kind of what's, what's the tone and what's it about? Sure. So it's called Beauty Beyond the Thorns. And then the subtitle is Discovering Gifts and Suffering. Okay. So <clears throat> interesting. It started out very different than how it turned out. Um, I like it better how it turned out, but... Um, it was a spiritual inspiration and it was, I started blogging. Um, well, I lost my dad and my dad was an art teacher and he was in an assisted living facility. Sorry for your loss. And he, yeah, he drew pictures for people and gave them away. He would put them on a mat. He would mat them so they'd be really nice. And he just gave them away to everybody in the assisted living facility. He would learn their name so he could write a personal note on the back. And he had this gift that he gave. And when he passed, I was so inspired by the way that he gave even up to the day he died. Um, and I felt like I wasn't doing that. Mm. And I prayed for a gift. I'm like, what can I give like my dad did? And it was scary to me to put my voice out there, but I started a blog and Brene Brown helped me with this. She said in her book, um, the gifts of imperfection. She talked about, you know, when we're per, when we strive for perfection, we don't do anything. Hmm. It stops us. And I am a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) But um, my dad inspired me to begin blogging. So I blogged for two years, and some of these blogs ended up in my book. Um, 
because they talked about kind of what came from suffering. And I talk about my dad and I talk about my mom and kind of what you go through when you lose someone and the things that that taught me and the gifts that came from that. Um, so I share about my parents. I share about a paraplegic woman who she was um, a news, uh, no, she was a meteorologist here in Denver. And we became friends. And when our kids were both the same age and in the same class, and she had a ramp in her house, and I had a ramp in my house. And how many people's houses have ramps? Oh. Like, not very many. And so we became friends, and I watched her take care of her children with her disability. And she inspired me so much, so I share about her story and the faith that I saw her have. And she is my example of faith of having faith in God and getting through her daily life. And she was so happy. And there was this one day where I was trying to really build her up and, and encourage her. And she had cancer. She had um, this paraplegia and she had cancer and she's a 40 year old mom of two young kids. And she's expected to die, right? And um, she had a bald head and her eyes were sunken and she had a rash on her uh, neck from the radiation. She was going through chemo. And I said, this heartfelt discourse. And she looked at me and she said, you know, I really don't think I have it that bad. And to me, my life changed after she said that because she's dying. She, she is paraplegic. <laughs> she has cancer and she doesn't think she has it that bad. Hmm. And I just, I was like, oh my goodness, I need to learn from this woman. So I share her story in the book and I just talk about 30 different gifts that I feel like God gives us like the gift of perseverance, the gift of compassion, the gift of hope, you know, and I talk about the gift of brokenness. My final chapter is the gift of brokenness because Jesus was broken, but look at what he gave the world, you know, and I feel like my hope comes from him. And so that's my final chapter. So I talk about 30 different gifts that I feel like come from suffering and not just physical suffering. I mean, mental, emotional, people who go through divorce is hard. People who experience infidelity or the inability to conceive or whatever suffering we go through is relevant. And so these stories are very short chapters. There's 30 chapters, which is a lot, but they're very short chapters. And they're stories. So it's a very kind of fun read. Um, I think the feedback that I've gotten is that you experience every emotion. <laughs> okay. Like you cry, you laugh, you, you relate. Um, and so anyway, it's a book of stories about the upside of suffering. That's awesome.
Yeah, you tend to learn a lot more from the bad than you do from the good. Like and those no kidding those darkest days, the days when it's feeling like it's hopeless. Somehow, when you pull yourself out of that, you kind of, you know, even when it when it happens again, you you're more adjusted to to cope with it. Um, doesn't mean mm-hmm. you, you know you cope with it the the best way you could, but it, it's a little more familiar. And then you start mm-hmm. to really learn and realize, like at, at some point, you got to learn how to like step back and realize, like, like holy shit, I am very strong. Because I don't know how I'm mm. still here. Because I don't. Right. Because I made a pact with myself a long time ago. I, I remember. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember it was in a, what was I in a Home Depot with my mother, and I was just I was feeling so down and just so frustrated mm. and sad, and I just she was buying stuff for you know like seeds for planting and all that, and I just I sat there and in my head I just said, look, I'm kind of tired of you crying. I'm tired of you bitching. I'm tired of you all these things like. Do you want to kill yourself? Because if you do, let's just figure a way to do that right now. If not, if you want to live, mm. let's just live. So mm. let's just, let's just, we'll make a pact. If you, if we're not going to attempt to live, we're not going to attempt to turn this around. Let's just find a way to end it now. And so it, it's either mm. live or die for me, you know, and that's, you know, and that, I mean, that was at least 15 years ago. So, um, and that's just, you have to realize like how much you get thrown at you. And again, not everybody can take that because obviously people have killed themselves and, you know, obviously there's certain things that get thrown in the way that people die from unforeseen stuff and all that. But in general, just as a mental to get through it, like you don't realize how some, so much people can overcome and, and just can be hit over and over and over with things. And somehow you just continue to get up. And you continue to just drag yourself to the next day and the next day. And then all of a sudden, a month, a year has gone by. And that tragedy that happened feels like it's been a you know, it feels like it's been a decade. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it has. And, and now you're still going. And then the next thing gets thrown at you. And you're, you're like, okay, that wasn't as bad. Because I endured all those other things. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to ask you... Uh, kind of wrapping up here, but like one of the things I want to ask you, like, how are you not like, or are you, are you afraid? Like, cause you, you, the two things that caused all this or such freak accidents is like, are you afraid of like, is life like a landmine field where like, are you afraid to just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. every object in your house? I mean, it's, 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 it's a silly question, but also like I'm being honest too. I know. I know it's, like two freak accidents i i tell people i'm living my worst nightmare my second time (laughs) and um because i used to walk every day i loved walking and that very thing was the thing that was taken away from me twice you know and i was a volleyball player i was very active and the kids and i when they were tiny we would go everywhere and so I loved being active. And so to be, you know, disabled a second time, um, I guess I'm kind of, I mean, I can't really run to have a freak accident, (laughs) Um, which is how both happened. You know, I was running. And so maybe if I slowed down, I wouldn't get hurt. Um, I just, 
I, I guess I don't really look at that, it, it, although I think it's important for people to realize that just because you go through suffering once doesn't mean you won't again. And just because I have twice doesn't mean if I walk again that I won't again a third time. Right. Like stuff just happens, you know, and that's why we just have to take a day at a time. But yeah, it's that that's a very creative and, and good question because they were both freak accidents. Yeah, paper and, and a chair. That have, I know. Two I things know, that everybody has in their household. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, be careful with paper on the stairs. Like have nothing we after that we were like nothing goes on the stairs. And to this day we don't put anything on the stairs that we, that needs to be taken up or whatever, put a basket by the stairs that you can put stuff in. Um, but yeah, be careful um, because you never know. Well, it makes me think because I'm visually impaired. So <laughs> some things aren't as clear in my, you know, like I said, I can see some, but uh, uh-huh. you know, like I remember like, I don't know, like a month ago, like my cat bullet, he was running and I didn't know where he was. And so I was just running to my I don't think I had to pee or something, and I was running towards the bedroom or the bathroom area, and he just ran and got underneath my feet, so I didn't want to, I, like, jumped in the air, but I was trying to avoid him at the same time, so I didn't want to step on him, and I just, like, landed mm-hmm. on my ankles, and I fell on my ass, and, you know, mm-hmm. nothing nothing happened. I was fine, obviously, other than my pride, but other than that, I've, I've, I was just like, oh, but, like, that's, you know, you run that back, and you, you know, if that was the cat and it was at the end of the top of the steps, it could have been a problem or, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and that, that's, that's what's so crazy about some of these situations that not only you, but other people I've interviewed, just what they've been put into and just one little thing. I mean, obviously you expect a car accident and stuff like that, but you just never know what can change your life. A piece of paper for you. Um, yeah. Changed your life forever. Yep. A piece of paper that was yep. harmless and it was, you know, meant to just be an artistry, some drawing for you or whoever. And it mm-hmm. was left at the top of the steps. And obviously you probably tell your kids to put their stuff away when they're done with it. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this one piece of paper was kind of the, the downfall of your old life. And that's how. Exactly. And it, it's crazy. And that's why I was wondering, like, you know, how you don't just, especially since it happened a second time, like how you don't just you know, see a lamp or something and just kind of avoid it, (laughs) like just anything. Yeah, I am very careful. Like if there's a cord, I won't walk over it. I won't, you know, I won't have my scooter go over it. I won't, like it has to be moved. So I am very careful with things like that and making sure there's nothing in my way or a, a carpet or a rug that might trip me up you know, or make the scooter fall over or whatever. Um, so, but I think slowing down would have helped me. Yeah. I was always in a hurry, Yeah. you know? So I think take life as it comes, slow down. And, but kind of a motto of my life is I do have to do everything twice. Is that like, do you feel like that's life teaching you a lesson? Like, oh, you were in a hurry and now you're, you're going to have to sit here and think about everything you did because you don't have a choice? <laughs> it's, a, it's a harsh yeah. way of looking at it, but that's kind of what happened. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, this, 
this, I lost part of my book, so I had to rewrite it. So that I had to do twice. Um, you know, just so many computer things I have to do twice. It's like, oh man, where did that go? It just went, it went somewhere. So I have to rewrite it or redo it. And my husband's just like, okay, just do it again. You, you just have to do it twice. <laughs> it's just kind of a motto. So I'm hoping to stop that too. But I'm also 56. So, you know, when we get older, different things happen. I'm, I just went to the eye doctor and he's like, I don't know how you can see out of these glasses. I'm like, I can't, you know, I've been having a hard time. I see double. Mm. Um, and, you know, so, but when talking to you, it's like, well, that's really not a big deal. I, I just need to be grateful that I'm seeing double that I can see double. Yeah. Well, it might be a way to, might be a way to fix that for you. And, and, it's just sometimes when you're stuck in some sort of rut and you're in the same place for so long, what it just becomes your normal just becomes a different normal. It's like, Oh, okay, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. But there is a way around it. Sometimes you just get lost and you forget that like there mm-hmm. might be a way to correct that part of your body, your eyes. You might be able to see better. It's just maybe yeah, you're and- so lost in chaos and pain and all that you, you don't, and you don't feel like that could ever be fixed. So you go, well, I guess I'm just, this is what it is, but you probably could correct that. Yeah. And they, they did give me a script okay. to correct that. Oh, good. There you go. Um, so I do, I do have a script and that will be fixed and I'm thankful, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard to get out, you know, it's hard to get me into the car. It's hard to get me into, I haven't been into a store like when my when my um, book arrived, of course I wanted to go to the mailbox and get it. And so a friend came and picked me up, and I have video of me trying to get into the mailbox and not able. And I'm saying I haven't been here for three years, and I couldn't get into the mailbox. Like I forgot, and then I realized. Oh, our mailbox is number two, not number three. <laughs> yeah. And so I was able to get into the mailbox um, after the second try, and and but I hadn't been there for three years, so it's hard to get out and do things. And so to get to the doctor to get my eyes checked, yeah, is hard. It's hard to get in all those normal appointments that you should do every year, like my mammogram. I haven't done in three years. It's hard for me to get there along with everything else, right. you know, the dentist, the eye doctor. The, so I should have got into the eye doctor sooner, but I wasn't able to. Right. And so, you know, <clears throat> now I have a script for it. And yeah. what I, uh, you know, what I think is great is you had one of the questions you asked me, off mic of one of your I don't know concerns or one of the things you wanted to know is uh, how long was this going to go? Well, an hour and fifty minutes has gone by. <laughs> uh, oh gosh! I don't. Yeah, that's why I said like you just don't know what's going to end, how it's going to end up, and what we're going to go into. And you know, I'm sure you probably thought you could do your story in a half hour, and we went in off topic many times. So yeah, um, but I hope you enjoyed yourself. Um, oh my gosh, this was enriching. Yeah, I, I like I said, you're you're an amazing person. I'm happy we got to become friends and 
obviously we'll continue to keep talking and support each other and all that. Um, you might even want to think about doing something similar to this or some, some sort of speaking in general, cause you have a very like nice relaxing voice that kind of, you know, relax people. It kind of might make people just kind of listen to you more. Um, mm. but yeah, you got to keep doing what you're doing. Um, like I said, I'll put your link of your book in the description and all that. And, uh, I, I do, I thank you for really coming on and helping support the, the cause. Of course, TJ, and thank you for doing what you do and bringing awareness and, you know, just living your life and and helping other people to live theirs. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. And uh, please talk to your husband. I would love to have him on. He'd love it. So, yeah, I will talk to him. Yeah, let's try to get it done as soon as possible because I would like to have his right after yours. Um, Oh, that'd be awesome. As far as, like, weekly, it would come out the next week after yours would, so... Um, okay. it makes sense. Uh, I did, a, I did a couple before I did a, a, a husband and then I did his or his fiance after. Um, so mm. it worked. Um, yeah. So yeah, let, well, and obviously, you know, as you said, you're going to call me for my birthday and we'll, we'll talk outside this regardless. And, uh, you know, maybe if there's progress down the road you know, hopefully, you know, you're walking and you're doing more, especially if you go back to swimming pools and, and eating better and all that, maybe we'll do an updated episode down the road and see how you're doing. Oh, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe like a year from whenever that episode comes out. Wow, that'd be awesome. All right, we'll do it. Um, okay. But yeah, we'll we'll talk soon. I mean, I'm sure we'll probably text after this, but uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. And uh, thank you again for coming on. Okay, and happy early birthday, and I'll I'll be calling you. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, take care. All right, bye. Okay, mm, bye-bye. All right, guys. Um, thank you for just being on this trip with me. Um, I know it was a long episode, and there's probably a lot of pauses, and you guys have kids and so on, and just thank you for all your support. Um, we're just going to get out of here, and uh, thank you for Darcy. Darcy.